Um, so let's have a little chat uh, as well with with us. I don't know if it's saying something that adults have to have a longer chat, but nonetheless, uh, it seems to be the order of business this morning. So if you would, turn with me in your Bible to Genesis 18. Genesis chapter 18, going all the way back to the beginning. Genesis means beginning, by the way. And so it is a book of beginnings. And we want, I want to look at something today that, that up to this point in, in the world's history, up until chapter 18, this had never been done before. And now in 18, you get the first instance of this being done. And from this point on, it's the standard procedure of all believers. Now, just as a little backdrop here, and again, if you watch the Bible series, I hate to keep going back to this, but if you watched it, which many people did, millions of people did, um, even people maybe listening to our podcast would agree with this, that, that look, this is exactly what was shown here, even in the Bible thing. They thought it, I mean, you know, they cut out a lot, obviously. I mean, we went through Genesis in what, hour and a half maybe, counting not the commercials. So, I mean, that's, you know, you gotta, you got to really do some cutting there. But this scene makes it in. Chapter 18 actually makes it into the story there. And I think rightly so, you cannot describe Genesis without describing this meeting with God where He comes in these three persons to meet with Abraham, promises this son. You remember Sarah laughs, which is where uh, Isaac gets his name, which means laughter. Laughter really in two ways, because one is laughter mockingly. Oh yeah, right. I'm going to have a son. <laughs> you know, mocking laughter. But the other is laughter when the baby actually comes. You know she was laughing, singing, uh, just, just overwhelmed with joy. I mean, you ever been so happy that you just, you just started laughing? There's nothing else to do. You're just thinking, I mean, this is amazing. I can't believe it. And so it's laughter in two directions, which is what Isaac means. These three men come to Abraham. He invites them in. They fellowship with him. They eat with him. They make a promise. And then they leave. But before they leave, on the outskirts of the town, as as Abraham is walking them out, we get this fascinating scene in chapter 18, starting with 22. And by the way, if you've ever seen that picture on the front of our bulletin, that icon of the Holy Trinity where the three persons are sitting around the table and there's the one cup. That is of that meeting. That's the three, three persons that, that came to Abraham. That, that's what that icon is meant to show. Notice here, as they're moving toward the outskirts of town, God basically begins to talk to Himself. Okay, so who, you know, my Mima talks to herself. Jessica talks to herself when she cooks. So I'm assuming that in order to get good food, you have to talk to yourself. Well, apparently, in order to save the world, God starts talking to Himself. You can read it right here in the, uh, the middle part here of 18. And God says, should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Remember, He's going down to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And He says, should I hide from him what I'm going to do? And He says, you know what? I'm not going to hide it from him because he is chosen. Verse 19. Skip to 22. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. 
Then then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away and the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. 27. Abraham answered it and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. (laughs) I who am but dust and ashes, think Lent. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went His way when He had finished speaking to Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. Let's pray. Jesus, help us now as we look into your word. Help your word to look into us. Reveal to us what is in our heart. And help us to respond to you in repentance and faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Only prayer can save the world. You say, well, I mean, have you looked recently at the world? I mean, I can pull up Drudge Report right now and there's three columns of bad stuff that's happening in the world. All the way from beheadings in Mexico to mass genocide in Africa to the threat of nuclear war in the Middle East to oppression and human rights violations in China. And you're telling me that, that just simple prayers are going to save the world? No, no governments, militaries, humanitarian aid. These things we say and we look to as the things that will save the world. Technology, more science, more education. Isn't that what we were told in the 20th century, by the way? More education. If we can just get people educated... And Russia did that. China did that. Look what happened. America did that. Look where it got us. More people died in the 20th century than any other century in the world and all the other centuries in the world combined didn't compare to the mass slayings of the 20th century. And yet it was the century of progress. It was the century of education. It was the century of good government. And yet it failed. Failed miserably. 
prayer? Is that really the answer? Is it God's answer? Well, it's at least where God starts here in chapter 18 of Genesis. Remember, Genesis is a book of beginnings. And here, Abraham is with God, meeting with him. He's about to leave. And God says, you know what? I'm going to share something with Abraham. I'm going to lay something on Abraham that is a burden. I mean, he was about to go destroy people. Now, I don't know if it happened like it did in the show last week. If you saw that with the samurai, you know, Asian dude. I don't don't know if they were like that. I'm not sure. Doubt it. And he says, you know what? I'm going to lay this on Abraham because Abraham is my elected person in the world. My chosen person. Again, God's way to change the world is through prayer. It's the only way that the world will ever be changed. Now just think with me, I want to talk about two persons and two organizations or institutions from these two persons, alright? So two people with two organizations that start under them, so to speak, if you want to call them organizations... in order to show you the point that I want to move toward today, which is prayer is bearing another. Carrying another. It's really what we're talking about today is the work of prayer. Now last week we talked about, well, like I was telling the kids here, two weeks ago we talked about how prayer is talking to God. I mean, just plain and simple, bottom line is talking to God. And my kids talk to me. They talk all the time to me. They never stop talking to me. They talk without ceasing. And that is not a command I gave them. But they don't talk to me on the same level that Jessica does. They don't talk as me and Michael would talk or me and Bob would talk. They don't work with me in that capacity. Because, well, they're not there yet. One day, they'll be trained up to be a man and talk to me like a man. That's not today. (laughs) Not, Not even close today. In our praying, we must move past the elementary stuff. Just the always asking for this and asking for that. Prayer is not just about asking and receiving. Like a little kid that just constantly, I want a drink of water. I want something to eat. I want to watch TV. I want to go play with my toys. I don't want to do that. Maybe 90% of our praying is squabbling, complaining. Now, you know what, parents? Doesn't it make you angry when you hear your kids complaining? You know how much they have. You know how spoiled rotten they are, and yet they want more, and it makes you mad. Grumbling, complaining makes a parent mad. And you say, well, yeah, I know, but I shouldn't get mad. Ah, That's not biblical. God gets angry when the Israelites complain. He gets mad that the Israelites are grumbling. Did you not read the Old Testament? He even kills some of them. Now, I'm not saying anything parenting-wise, okay? 
Let's let's be clear. Nothing parenting wise here. We stopped that analogy. Now we're talking about the Israelites dealing with a nation. God's dealing with a nation and He kills some of them because of their complaining and grumbling. Did you know it's a sin to complain and grumble? That's something we need to bear in mind next time we're complaining about our life. It can be a severe sin. A poison that you inject into other people, into your work, into your family, and God says, stop it. You are blessed beyond... Who do you think you're talking to? I own everything. And you're going to complain to me just constantly? And we never get around to talking to God. I mean, my kids, I don't want them talking to me about complaining the whole time. About things that they want and this and that. I want more Ninja Turtles. You already have 50 that you don't even play with. You already have a Raphael. Why do you want another one? Because they're selfish. We're selfish. We must move past the elementary kind of praying and move to the work of prayer. And the work of prayer is what's going to change the world. It's what's going to change your world. It's what's going to change my world is the work of prayer. This here in 18 is the first work of prayer. God says, hmm, should I lay this on Abraham? I should. And He tells him, I'm going to go down here and destroy these guys for their wickedness. And Abraham says, well, hang on, let's just uh, talk about this for a moment. I mean, he is talking to God after all. He's a little careful. You can tell in the text he's kind of careful. He says, listen, I know I'm talking to God, but hey, let me, like, can, I, can I say one more thing? So he goes from 50 to 45 to 30 to 20 to 10. He says, look, this last time, I'll say 10. Now, we don't know what would have happened if he would have went down to 2. We don't have that. Maybe there weren't 2. I think the principle here is clear. The righteous save the wicked. Isn't that what God says right here? If there are ten righteous people, they'll save the city. The city will be spared. You wonder sometimes, why doesn't God bring judgment against America? Millions of babies killed since Roe v. Wade passed. Millions. Pedophilia, rape, murder oppression, addiction. You say, man, what, wicked, why would God let it go on? Because of the righteous. Because of the righteous. That's why. Isn't that how you came to salvation? Is by the righteous? Someone was praying for you. Someone shared the Gospel with you. Someone passed down the faith that you believe in. <laughs> it's not our own doing. This was given to us. And then we give it back out. It's never meant to be kept. It's why our church motto now is, is we are growing something to share. We're not growing a church just to grow a church. Just say, hey, look what we did. Isn't this cool? We have 50 people now. No, no. We're growing something to share with the world. To share at your work. To share with your children. We're leaving a legacy behind. A, le a legacy that can be handed down to the next generation. This is the work of prayer. God says, I'm going to share this with Abraham. And Abraham interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah. 
these two very wicked cities because he had a family member there. He had a loved one there. The work of intercession, of standing between God's wrath and the world, that's what intercession is. You're standing in the middle, praying for the world and praying against God's wrath and for God's grace. This is what Abraham's doing, plain and simple. This is the work of prayer. We must move past being a baby spiritually and become mature in the faith. Mature in our praying. And if for no other reason, if for no one else in the world, intercede for your family. Cry out to God for your children. For those that you love. I mean, there's somebody you love in the world. Pray for them today. Stand between God and the world. Be that link for them. That's what intercession is. This is what Abraham's doing here. It's the work that we're all called to be and to do. We're called to be mediators. We're called to do intercession. We're called to be apprentice, so to speak, intercessors. You've got to start somewhere, right? Just like I told the kids, right? You, you just said one prayer in your head. Just do that for the rest of your life and you'll be good. I mean, that's how you talk to God. That's how you pray for other people. They, they interceded for me, which I think is precious, which I think God hears. Sometimes I think He hears their prayer more than mine. Probably because mine's so tangled sometimes in my selfishness. That it's not really in God's will to do those things. It's like me asking for a knife and I'm three. Not going to happen. Now, you know that from Abraham comes Israel. Jacob, his son, whose name is changed to Israel. And the nation Israel. Now, Abraham is elected. You say, you say well, why did that movie... Why does that show you know, focus on Abraham so much? Well, the Bible focuses on Abraham so much. In Genesis, 13 chapters are given to Abraham. That's significant. Most people don't even get a chapter. They just get a mention. He gets 13 whole chapters. Because he's called by God and he believes in God. And he's the father of all of us in this room. Father Abraham had many sons. I mean, it's true though. He's the father of many nations. God says, look up at the stars, Abraham. How many kids you are going to have? That you'll be able to call your own. Again, like I said before, I went into a, to a bookstore in 2007. And guess who's on the front of Newsweek magazine? Oh, Abe, in a nice red flowing robe. He's still famous. He's still the father of many nations. He's the father of our faith, and yet he's the founder of the nation of Israel. He's, he's where it all begins, because he decided to be the one to stand in the gap. And God elected him to that position. Then he elects Israel. And you remember what Israel is called to be? 
They're called to be a light to the nations. God says, look, out of all the nations in the world, just as I chose Abraham, that one family out of all the families, so too now I'm choosing one nation out of all the nations to be my light in the world. To be my witness in the world. Flip over a little little bit here to your right to Exodus chapter 19. God has delivered them out of slavery from the Egyptians. He has carried them through the wilderness, provided for them manna to eat, water from the rock. And now right before they get the law, the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. Notice what is said here, starting with verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to Myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey My voice and keep My covenant, you shall be My treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is Mine, And you shall, notice this, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What is the job of a priest? I mean, even a pagan priest. is to get the people in contact with the gods. He's the mediator, right? He's the middleman. The priest is. In Israel, the priest was to bring the people's sacrifices to God and to bring God to the people. He was the link again. And so you think of Ezra in the Bible, who is a priest, who again points the people to God and God to the people. He, gives a, he finds the book of the law and he reads it to them. They weep. They repent. He's the connecting point. He said, man, way to go, Ezra. You know, he's the occasion. The priest points to God. The priest links the people's sacrifice to God. Now, again, Israel is elected and now God says, you know what? The reason I called you out of Egypt, the reason I delivered you, the reason I saved you, is so that you could be my priests in the world. I want you to be the link between the world and me. I'm going to use a person to be that link. Just like with Abraham, now a nation becomes this priesthood. I mean, this is a kingdom of priests. They say, now what does a priest really do? And that's always the question. What does a pastor really do? I mean, you know, what does he do? The same question was asked, interestingly, in Lord of the Rings. What does a hobbit really do? I mean, what can they do? They can't do anything to save the world. I mean, you really, Gandalf, in all your wisdom, are going to put the hands of Middle Earth, the life of Middle Earth, in the hands of two hobbits? Honestly? Really? 
Why didn't you give it to the men? They're strong and they're warriors. Or to the elves, they're immortal. Unless they're killed in battle. Why wouldn't you give it to one of the dwarves? They can go underground. Why would you give it to a hobbit? What does a hobbit do anyway? That's the point. Tolkien lives in the biblical world, even in Middle-earth. What is the power in Frodo? The power is in his sacrifice. It's not in his strength. It's not in what he can do. He's not able to battle big things. When he gets in trouble, he has to count on somebody else to get him out of it. But it's in his offering of himself. Middle earth is saved because two hobbits, one in particular, offers himself as a sacrifice. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar? Jesus Christ! Isn't that what Jesus comes to do? He doesn't come and flex his muscles at the Pharisees, draw a sword or a bazooka. No. No. He offers Himself. And the whole world is saved because He offers Himself as a sacrifice. A nation was called to be that sacrifice. To offer themselves to the world as a witness to the world. It's why God elected Israel. It wasn't to limit salvation. It was to blow it wide open so that the whole world would know who God is through one nation. Now, did they succeed? No. That's why they were driven into exile. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom both failed to be that light that God called them to be. And so God says in Isaiah, He says... Again, talking to himself. God seems to do this often. Who shall I send? Who can really stand in the gap? I've searched to find one who is blameless, to be the perfect mediator, and none were found. I searched and none were found. So, what does the Lord do? In Isaiah, God says... I brought salvation by my own right hand. By my strong hand. Which is Jesus Christ. His Messiah. Which is the second person I want to talk about. We talked about Abraham. Now we talk about Jesus. What is Jesus' main work? We say, well, the cross. And obviously offering Himself. Yes. But in order to go to the cross... In order to do His miracles, in order to feed the 5,000, in order to call His disciples, in order to resist temptation, what is it that Jesus is doing? What is it that Jesus does? What is the secret? What's the key that unlocks all of this? It's the work of prayer. Even for God. Before Jesus calls His disciples, He fasts and prays All night long. Have you ever prayed for something? Has something ever been so significant in your life that you had to pray through the night? I'm asking myself that. We say things are important. Oh, this is so important. 
Is it important enough for you to work through the night in prayer? Jesus did. Before He was betrayed and beaten and spat upon and mocked and killed, guess what He did? He prayed. We looked at it. John 17. And even before that, in the garden, sweating so hard it's like blood coming from His head, praying to go to the cross. You say, yep, He accomplished all that and praise God, now He's seated at the Father's right hand. Yes, He is. But He's not seated there in a rocking chair laid back watching television. Instead, what is He doing? What does the Bible say clearly in Romans 8 that He's doing? He's praying. He's continuing what He's always been doing, and that is praying. (laughs) From the time He met with Abraham, He said, hey, let me share something with you. I mean, you ever had somebody do that? Pull you aside and say, let me share something with you. I'm going to make you privy to some private information here. I want to share something with you. That's what God does. He wants to do that with us. He wants to bring us alongside and say, hey, I know you're asking for all this stuff. So let, me, let me share something with you. Let me lay something on your heart that I want you to help me carry. Just, are you hearing what I'm trying to say right here? God is asking us to carry some of the weight. This is like my kids again. I'm getting in groceries, and Bev says, Daddy, can I try to carry that? I say, Sure, man, come on. Boom, it hits the floor, of course. Biscuits are all coming out, right? It's okay, man. You'll get it. It's what God wants to do with us. Father, can I can I carry something? Don't we want to be of help to God? Or do you just want to be some spoiled child always asking for my own stuff? Help me have a good day and help this happen and bless me and do that. We're blessed so we can be a blessing. That's why God blessed Abraham. It wasn't just for him. It's for the sake of the world. Why did He bless Israel? For the sake of the world. Why did He bless Jesus Christ? For the sake of the world. God's eye is always on the world. So should our eye be. We are called to help bear the weight of the world. Jesus is the premier mediator. High priest, right? (laughs) He's the perfect high priest because He's not only offering the sacrifice, but is Himself the sacrifice. He links the world to God and God to the world in His own person, in His own body. And yet, you know what He tells His disciples? He tells me, He says, Just as I was sent, so now I am sending you. We say, Oh man, I'm glad that's for just the apostles. Hallelujah. I don't have to worry about all that stuff. I can just kind of do my own thing and and, and just kind of pray when I need to. He goes outside of just the apostles and he says, there's more meeting in the upper room. He says, 
Just as I was sent, so now I am sending you. This is for all believers. All Christians. You don't believe me? Turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. Peter being one of the apostles, one of the original twelve. 1 Peter 2 and 9. Just one verse. But you are a chosen race. You're elected. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for His own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Sound familiar? Doesn't it almost sound exactly like Exodus? You're God's possession. And you've been called to be a priesthood. This is the priesthood of all believers. (laughs) So you thought it was just my job to intercede. You thought, no, 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 we we pay you to intercede for us, to connect us to God, to bring us the Word, and and to bring bring us to God. Kind of a a two-way thing here. That's what we pay for. We want to outsource you like we outsource everything else in our life. I'm sorry. I'm going to work myself out of a job here by saying we are all called to intercede. We are all called to be mediators in our family, at our work, in this city, in the world. This is what the church does. Just as the nation of Israel was the light, the presence of God in the world in the Old Testament, so too now the church is the presence of God in the world. We, Jesus says in His Sermon on the Mount, are salt and light. We preserve the world from wrath and we flavor the world with God's goodness. We expose the darkness and we bring light to all circumstances. Is that what your life looks like? When you go to work tomorrow, when you go home today, are you preserving your family from God's wrath? Preserving your family from Satan's touch, from the evil one. Even in the Lord's Prayer, He prays against the evil. Jesus in John 17 prays against the evil one. You ought to pray against the evil one for your family. Resist the devil, he will flee. Are you bringing flavor, Christ's aroma, the smell of Jesus Christ to your workplace, to your home? Are you exposing the darkness and yet bringing light and lighting up a path of righteousness? It's what the church has been called to do. A holy nation of royal priests, kingly priests, The cross is the only way of life because the cross shows to us what God did to connect the world to God. This ought to be our posture this week is the cross. 
Are you willing to lay down your life to sacrifice as a priest does, as Frodo did, as Jesus did, so that the world might be saved? Are you willing to offer your life or are you going to keep your life? It's the only two options we have this morning. Through prayer, your world, this city, this church, the entire world can be shaped by our praying. God wants to come alongside us today and lay something on you for you to bear in your heart. Will you let Him do that? Will you carry His burden here? These little kids just, just prayed for me. And, I, and we showed you how simple it was and how fast it was to lift somebody up to God. Bob, I didn't even pray a minute yesterday. And yet the world is shaped by our praying. He's not going to do it without praying. Period. It's not going to happen. Prayer really does change the world. It's not some kind of fake thing. Because it changes you. That's why. You see the world as God does. You have the heart God does. And that's what changes the world is God. We're the occasion. We're the means. We're the vessel. Are you willing to be broken for Him? Willing to be poured out for Him? Michael, can you go to the back and grab the cards, the little, little business cards that I had, and grab a couple pencils? I just want to take two minutes. And I want you to write down one person to carry in your heart this week. We pray enough for ourselves. I don't have to tell you to pray for yourself. I know you pray for yourself. That's fine. Let's pray for other people. Let's start working to intercede. Let's work with God to save the world. That sounds like a superhero kind of thing, right? That's what He wants to do. He wants to make us superheroes. You know, nobody asks to be a hero, and yet He wants to make us all into lights, into stars that shine bright for Him. Aren't we meant to be salt and light? We are. Go to Him and carry His burden today. Amen.